everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Talking Avatar. I'm your host, Daniel. And I'm Jesse. Today, we're going to talk to you about the Avatar as potentially a misguided symbol. We're going to talk about world peace. We're going to talk about the dreams and aspirations thereof. You ready to get into it? Anytime, man. Let's jump into it. So I think where I really want to start with this topic is really kind of painting a bigger picture of the Avatar and kind of the purpose of that traditional role within the Avatar Last Airbender kind of universe. Would you like to kind of give us a little bit of background on that, Daniel? Yeah, absolutely, man. So so the traditional role of the Avatar, Aang, Korra, um, whatever, who are all the Avatars, right? It's to maintain peace in the world. It's to maintain balance between the physical and spiritual worlds, specifically to be the bridge between the physical and spiritual worlds. And, um, you know, that's that's their historical role. They've been doing it for thousands of years. Yeah, and it's really interesting, I think, that to kind of add on to, to that, that is a traditional job description of an avatar. But it's interesting to think about how the job description is between the spirit world and the human world. But a lot of the stories that we're being told and we're kind of along the ride for are much more human focused and less spirit focused. And so I think the reason we really came upon this topic, at least in my experience, is that I was watching this avatar not be this agent of kind of cooperation, as is a topic that is kind of challenged, mainly in Legend of Korra. I was seeing this character be more of a of a person who maintains status quo against larger change on a on a worldwide scale. And so I think this episode is going to be a lot of examples of analyzing where I believe that's happened and kind of uh, challenge the practical role of the Avatar. What are your opinions? Do you think that the Avatar I, was treated respect like appropriately? I think you made I think you made a really interesting point there. I think there's actually a lot of examples where the Avatar is almost even anti-spirit, right? They've got this like extremely pro-human bias, right? Where like we see Korra when the vines first start invading the neighborhood in episode three. Right. And she's like trying to remove the vines. She's trying to like basically kill the spirits, not kill, but like get rid of the spirits. Right. And it's like, well, why? You know, what is with your humanist bias against spirits? Right. And like Aang, for example, he's willing to allow them to steal from Wang Shitong. Totally uncool. Right. If Wang Shitong was like, well, I'm taking this boomerang and I'm out. Yeah. He would have been pissed. But he doesn't care. Right. Give me a little and bit I, more background on Wang Shitong. I'm not really familiar. He was the giant bird with the spirit library. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. It's a great example. Yeah. yeah thanks. So, like, I, I think that's an example of the avatar kind of being biased, you know, and you, you brought up a point. I forget the exact language that you used, but that understanding of Aang being biased toward humans, right, shows us that he really is just trying to maintain, as you said, a status quo. Right. The Avatar really isn't trying to they're trying to make the world a better place, but they're trying to make the world a better place often in these very small, almost like invisible ways. Obviously, they do some bigger stuff. He, you know, stops the war with the Fire Lord or whatever. But they also like look how much hesitancy Korra has to reunite the worlds. Right. And I think that it's kind of to start with this topic and kind of take a big old bite out of it. I kind of want to look at how the Avatar's roles were in both series. I think that. In Avatar, he very much fought a mainly human battle, right? Very physical. And then, I mean, apart from a few examples, but Legend of Korra is very much more spirit-based and kind of is that traditional role. So I think that, in my opinion, the the more 
practical avatar was probably Korra because her her main job fit the description of you know making the two worlds kind of agree with each other rather than just being this overpowered you know warrior for whoever side they choose to be on yeah that's really yeah you're right ang really was about fighting humans whereas Korra really did a much better job bringing the the being a bridge ang spent very little time actually bridging in in the last airbender and 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 i also agree with what you said about him basically being almost like a mercenary yeah very much so and i think that um it all kind of stems this ambiguity and kind of this this freedom to do whatever they want it stems from this impossibly self-assigned task that they're they're given in a way i mean they're generally told you know maintain balance always maintain balance that's a really really easy topic to come at from a fuzzy perspective and by saying that i mean that balance is whatever they tended to perceive as right for example in after last airbender if you're a firebender if you're ozai you would say that you know you are restoring balance by colonizing everybody but if you were on anyone else you would think oh no we have to restore balance by taking them out so balance is very subjective and so since they had such an interesting and ambiguous goal it allowed this kind of corrupt and this bastardization of the goal. Bastardization, I don't know if that's a word. Corruption of the of the goal. I think it gets a little bit mixed up. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I completely agree. And, and I'm shocked that this is something you and I have never talked about before. But the Avatar is basically going around, di- you know, distributing their own form of vigilante justice. Like, obviously, we're always happy about it when they're beating up, you know, big mean people. Yeah. But I'm sure that there are countless examples, some probably that were shown that we're not thinking of off the top of our heads. And and many that are unshown of the avatar abusing their power, abusing the people around them, not being a good person. We see time and time again that Aang is a victim of his own faults. Right. He's a flawed individual. What if there was an avatar whose faults was that they're a jerk? Right, right. What is stopping them? We've seen the answer to that is nothing. Right, not at all. I mean, very clearly they are the most powerful human in this universe. And I think that it's also... I think you brought up an example that came to mind uh, just as we we're talking about this from a few weeks ago. You said either on the podcast or off the podcast, you said that if you think Aang hasn't killed anybody, you haven't been watching close enough. Yeah. I think you're making a great point about the fact that like Aang is not some sort of like totally pacifist, lovey-dovey, perfect figure. Keep talking right. about that. Yeah, I mean, he definitely kills people. And like you said earlier, what if the Avatar decides that, you know, he just wants to be a bad guy now? And we see that in Legend of Korra. We see kind of uh, someone who has a lot of power and decides to to work for their own agenda. Uh, I don't think you ever got to that part, but there was a, a villain in that series that had very radical views about how government should work. And he took steps to ensure that, that those views were enacted. And he was very successful to a point. Yeah, Zaheer. Zaheer. And the Avatar being the status quo subject that he identified that the Avatar was a status quo subject that was a tool being used by corrupt governments to kind of keep everyone in their place. And so he had a fundamental issue with the Avatar. And I honestly 100% agree, right? Killing the Avatar may not have been the move, but like them being in control of what happens and how different nations evolve, I think is a very corrupt system in a way. I agree. And we also, we have no insight into how they're picked. We have no idea if it's a meritocracy. Well, no, we know that it isn't because they find them when they're children, right? And meritocracy, you know, a significant meritocracy cannot be based on the actions of children. Right. Right. Um, Just fun side example. I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, the issue that the Canadian hockey system has. Not at all. Like, I, I don't remember the numbers, but like, 
disproportionate amount of Canadian professional hockey players were born at the very beginning of the year. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's because they are then older. So by the time they're six, they're significantly bigger than the kids who are five and a half. They're way better at hockey. They get picked for the special team. They get more practice, more training. By the time they're eight, they're now two years. Well, you know, they're still a half a year bigger, plus two years more practice. By the time they're 15, they're on the, they were on the club team, the travel team, the high school team. Then they get, you know, and then all of a sudden, everybody born in December is at this huge cumulative disadvantage, right? Right. My point, the reason I brought that up is because the avatar literally isn't old enough to have accumulated enough merit to be deserving of being the avatar. Right. To have this massive power with none of the, de- the deserving factors is dangerous. It's why it's it's insane. Yeah. If they decided that they no longer wanted to have nations, they could do that. They could if they if they rejected their kind of controlling bodies, you know, avatar being like. I mean, his group or like the nations and the legend of Korra being directly like her trainers and the white Lotus council. If they rejected that control and decided, Hey, I'm going to just be a world leader. They could. And you know, some, some could argue that uniting the world or uniting everything. That's what that looked like. Right. Them just deciding, Hey, there's no more nations. You know, I'm now going to be the ruler of the entire world. Kind of an Ozai complex. You know, some could argue that that would be the an interpretation of their assigned task. And, and you know, Aang actually did that. Aang created his own city called Republic City. Right. You know, and like we think of it like, oh, it's this like great thing because it's Aang and it's yeah. dope. And it is. And it is because Aang, Aang, we got lucky that Aang was Plato's benevolent dictator. Right. Right. But he easily could have not been. Republic City was really like a force that he imposed upon the countries and the people, the residents thereof. Right. That's it. It's not a democracy. It's ang. It's an angtocracy. Right. And the story behind that is that those were the Fire Nation um, settlers that were in the Earth Kingdom. That Republic City was yeah. the, the settlement, and then got converted when Aang went there to try and settle disputes. And he put his foot down and said, "This is what this will be." So he directly put that city into into creation he if it weren't for him if it wasn't for him those wouldn't that wouldn't be there and so and, uh, yeah, yeah go on well it supports your point that like he has the power to establish himself as his own leader yeah his own world power even yeah yeah and i think that we see in legend of Nakora as the world starts to evolve and starts to create these technical advantages that we they may not need the avatar anymore she becomes starts to become more of a burden and a tool an agent of um, corrupt governments and corrupt agendas rather than uh, a pure agent for good, quote unquote, as Aang was perceived as more pure in the Avatar series. Right. I completely agree. And, you know, that that's demonstrated specifically in the, the core episode. It's season three where, you know, she goes and she like collects a bunch of tax tax money for the Earth Queen who's evil. Right. Yeah. She's being used as a tool. Exactly. Uh, I, I think more broadly, there's another broader issue here that I kind of want to I want to make sure we talk about, you know, is that there the whole point is that they're supposed to bring balance. There has never been balance. Uh-huh. Even before the first avatar, there was imbalance. There was economic inequality within the the fire city yeah. on the back of the lion turtle. There were people that were hungry. There was conflict between the spirits and the humans. Mm-hmm. 
this concept of balance, and this is something that you mentioned actually off podcast, but this concept of balance is impossible. And I think that this under this guise, we can analyze the, the task and objective of the avatar and honestly say it's impossible. It's an impossible feat. And this avatar character, for whatever reason, is given this impossible task, but it's not a task that can be achieved, right? It's, it's, I think that maybe because of the plot, because if we had a world in Avatar Last Airbender where everything, if balance could be achieved, that'd be the end of the story. Um, but the world in general is not perfect. To try and make it perfect and balance is, um, it's, it's not possible. It's misguided. Right. And so it makes sense that these characters become agents of governments and different groups and kind of movements. And I think that a story kind of investigating this type of ultimate power that they have would be really interesting to me. Obviously, that won't happen because it's a kid show. But I think that it's interesting that they have this ultimate power. And for, for as much as I can remember, they're controlled in a way. But, you know, I, I actually... I want to both, uh, I want to say a couple of things about that. I don't necessarily believe their power is ultimate. I agree that they are the strongest singular being in the universe. Yeah. In the, the, the human universe. Mm-hmm. But I, I do believe that a sufficient number <clears throat> of benders could fight an avatar. Right. Possibly right. not in avatar state, but like how long can you stay in avatar state? Like right. that's unclear. My point is that like, you know, if all of the original White Lotus, you know, Paku, Boomy, Iroh, the sword guy, if all of them got together, like they could probably beat up Aang. Right. Probably very easily outside of Avatar State. Right. And, you know, like potentially like with great difficulty, but over time inside Avatar State. Right. Um, which kind of actually leads me into the next thing I want to bring up, right? That here we are. We're talking so much about one person, but one person doesn't change the world. Basically. The world is changed. Yeah. The world has changed, in my opinion, by the efforts of countless individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, you kept saying, you know, if the Avatar wanted, they could do blah, blah, blah. But in reality, they're being controlled by these groups. Right. Right. And I think that's the reality of the world that we live in and the reality of the last airbending world, you know, is that change is not something in the hands of one person. No matter how good any individual is, it takes the actions of hundreds of thousands of individual humans individual people each acting on their own to make a meaningful impact and maybe avatar serves as an example where it turns the kind of messiah complex on its head in a way right where we stop idolizing individuals and start realizing that change happens from the masses not the individual i think that's something we can draw after our analysis yeah I don't right. think that's necessarily something that's shown on the surface of the show. Not at all. Which does show one person as being wildly powerful. Right. But with a more mature lens, we can see that, oh, in fact, like these certain groups benefited from him. These certain groups did not. And that's kind of the the takeaway from this whole analysis is, is kind of deep dive, kind of getting into that underneath that content that's underneath this kind of very innocent, very yeah. uh, bright world. And kind of analyzing and kind of bringing it to our own world. Um, I, I agree. So, yeah, man, I, I think that's pretty much all I've got for the topic. Did you have anything else you want to discuss? I think I'm good. All right, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Love you, bud. Love you too, man.